Bel Air family, good morning. As we gather, we are starting a brand new series today. If you have your Bibles, whether uh, you brought them with you or on your phone or perhaps in the pew in front of you, why don't you open these up? They're right in front of you. That red book is our pew Bible. It's the New Revised Standard Version. We're turning to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It's the Emmaus journey. And for those of you who have been here for a year, you might say, wait a second, hold on. About a year ago, you made us stay in this one passage for 10 weeks. You're not doing this every year, are you? No, 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 no. We're, uh, we're, we're taking a look at this passage from a very different angle than we did a year ago. And you'll notice even uh, a moment ago, the title of the sermon series was up, and I want us to just kind of see that for a moment. And I want us to imagine the posture of this. The, the title of the sermon series is Sitting With the Tough Questions. Sitting with the tough questions. And when you think of the word sitting, that imagery of sitting means you're, you're going you're gonna to stay a while. You know, sitting is very different than running or walking or flying or, or speeding by on a motorcycle. To sit means that you're going you're gonna to rest in something for a bit. You're going to dwell with something a bit. And so you might say, wait a second, but it's sitting with tough questions. you really want to sit and stay a while with some tough questions? Well, no, actually, I don't. Truly, I don't because I get very uncomfortable with tough questions. The, the thing I want to do with tough questions is just to, to run past them or to give an easy answer or to just, you know, blow right past it. But I really feel that we as a church have to sit a bit with some tough questions. In fact, many of these questions you've asked a about three months ago, we asked you as a church to write down, if you could ask any God any question, you know, it was, it was, the sky's the limit in terms of what kind of questions do you want to ask God? The questions that you asked, written down on a piece of paper and turned in, were tough questions. This has nothing to do with if the Lakers are going to take it all the way this year. This has nothing to do with, you know, you know are you going to win the lottery? No, these were, these were tough questions that you when given the anonymous chance to ask, that's, that's where your heart went. And so for the next month and a half, we're going to sit with some tough questions. And in many ways, it's, it's uncomfortable. Because the truth is, not only me, but maybe you and maybe I think all of humanity, we prefer just to have quick, easy answers to the tough questions so that we don't have to sit either ourselves with the tough questions, let alone with somebody else's tough questions. But what we're going to do over the next six or seven weeks, depending on how tough these questions are, is we're going to see we have a God who does the complete opposite of what we do. God never gives the quick, easy answer. God never runs past our tough questions. Rather, God sits with us, dwells with us, makes us home with us, even in the midst of our tough questions. So we've had Easter, we've had the celebration, 4,000 came on a campus, and now the party's done. We've, we've done the cleaning. You know how it is. At the end of a birthday party, you know, you clean the house, and then you're finally, your head is hitting the pillow. All the friends are gone, and the same questions, the same needs, the same problems, the same heartaches are still there, no matter how fun the party just was. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we encounter God's Word, that we will find tremendous hope even in the midst of our tough questions. So let's take a look here. This is Luke 24, 13 through 16. And the question that I have for us today is a question that I've asked, 
a question that perhaps some of you are asking today. God, why have you betrayed me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? One of the most common questions that you asked is, God, where are you? Let's take a look at what God says. Luke 24, verse 13. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This, my friends, is God's word. Now, I want to go again, take a look at this in verse 13. Now, on that same day, what day was this? This was the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the day that the greatest winning streak of all time, death, that winning streak was snapped. God defeated death and burst forth from the tomb. And on that very same day, all of a sudden, two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, who were so downcast, who had spent years following Jesus, who'd put their hope in Him, their peace in Him, their joy in Him, their future in Him. They think that God has completely abandoned them, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And it's so fascinating. I want you to catch that in verse 16. It says, but they were kept from recognizing Jesus. Now, the phrase to describe the way the Greek verb there is, is it's a divine passive. All you need to know is God kept them from seeing and recognizing that this was Jesus resurrected from the dead. And you might say, well, why would God do that? I mean, here's Jesus. He burst forth from the tomb. Why would God prevent them from truly seeing that this was Jesus? Why have them go through that long seven-mile journey to Emmaus? Why have them make that whole journey not even noticing that it was Jesus in their midst? Well, the whole time they're saying, God, why, why have you abandoned us? Why have you let us down? Well, the reason why we're going to encounter today, and I'm so glad that God did that, because we get a little snapshot, a little window into our lives when we ask the question, God, why have you abandoned me? I love this. There's so much humor in Scripture. In fact, Jesus goes up to him and he says, you know, what are you talking about? And they say, are you, are you new here? I mean, how have you not heard? Everybody knows what's happened. We were talking about all the things that have happened. And Jesus says, what things? I love this. I mean, they happened to him. I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, knows not only what happened, but why they happened. And Jesus says, what things? And they begin to tell all of the events that happened. This man, mighty in word and deed, he was like the prophets, and it was so amazing. Yet he was crucified. And some are saying that he rose from the grave. And yet we had hoped that he was the one that would redeem Israel. And so they see all these things. They see all these events that have happened. But they don't know how to interpret what's happened other than God left us. God's abandoned us. He let us down. What, what am I going to put my hope in? You know, there's this great psychology experiment that came out about 10 years ago. I was a psychology major in college. I always found it so odd. Even though I was a psychology major, the things that psychologists and scientists would put human subjects through and one of those things is actually a video you can find online. You can Google it right now if you like. Just Google gorilla, white t-shirt, basketball. And you might say, well, what's that about? Well, there's this great video. 
that actually went and became viral. In fact, it was this psychology experiment, again, about 10 years ago, where people would be invited in and they'd say, okay, we want you to watch a video. And we want to kind of see how you, you perceive things. We want to see how, you know, how, how present you are watching the video. And so I see some of us, they're, they're Googling it. Yeah, you follow directions, all right. And so they say, okay, there's going to be some people wearing white T-shirts. There's going to be some other people wearing black T-shirts. You're going to notice some basketballs. Psychologists are so weird. But basically, you need to count how many times a person in a white T-shirt passes a basketball. Can you do that? And so they're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. You got to pay attention. You can't be on your phone. You can't think about what you have for lunch. You have to be fully present. You got to watch. You got you to count how many times somebody in a white T-shirt passes a basketball. So people watch. They're intense. And I've, I've done this. You, you can even do it today if you like. And so there's this group of people. It's almost hard to follow. Like three people in white T-shirts and black T-shirts. And they're moving in a circle. And there's actually two basketballs. And they're passing the basketballs. And you're like, okay, one, two, three. Four, 85% of the people taking the test got the correct answer. 15 passes of people wearing white t-shirts. Ah, they paid attention. And many of us, if you were taking that test, would be part of that 85%. Chances are you'd feel pretty good about it. Oh, yeah, I paid attention. But then all of a sudden, the video says, did you see the gorilla? What? The gorilla, you told me to look for white t-shirts and basketballs. There was no gorilla. And then the video literally rewinds. And then in slow-mo, you literally see a person wearing a gorilla outfit, walking into the group of people, beats their chest, and then walks out of the circle off screen, truly, literally. And you're like, what? The gorilla? Why? I didn't see that. 50%. Of those who took the test, who watched the video, didn't even see the gorilla. You see, when you're looking for one thing, when you're so focused on what you think that you're looking for, when you so, you're like, I'm going to find it, I'm going to find it, that's what it's going to look like, I'm going to get it, but you miss a gorilla walking across the screen. And these disciples, they saw all the events. Yeah, he was a man mighty and powerful word and deed, and, and yeah, he was crucified, and yeah, he rose from the grave. But we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel, and they missed the complete gorilla in their midst, that because of all of those things, Jesus frees us, not only from our circumstances, but from every single thing that holds us back, everything that enslaves us, everything that we long for, we find in Jesus, and they missed it, like so many of us missed the gorilla in the video. And I'm so thankful that God kept them from recognizing Jesus. Because in the midst of that journey, Jesus gives them and gives us a very powerful truth. And it's a truth that really boils down to what we do with Scripture. But before I get to that truth, I want us to go back to the Old Testament, okay? If you have your Bibles, pull them back out. If you have your phones, pull them back out. We're going to go to Habakkuk. Some of you might say Habakkuk, however you pronounce that name. It's found in your pew Bible on page 762. This is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, Habakkuk. And I want us to take a look at this moment in Scripture where one of God's greatest leaders is crying out to God. God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned us? 
And in the midst of this scenario, before we get back to Jesus, before we get back to Jesus on the road with the disciples, I want us to take a look at Habakkuk. We've pressed pause in the DVR. We're going to the second screen with Habakkuk here. And we're going to find two things. We're going to find a very practical truth, but at the same time, we're going to find a very profound truth. Let's take a look at the very practical truth of how we deal with the feelings of abandonment. So in verse 2, Habakkuk is saying this to God, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not listen. Sounds abandoned, doesn't he? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. And some of you might resonate with Habakkuk here. You might say, man, I'm experiencing God's things in my life, and I'm crying out to you, and I don't see you showing up. I don't see you rescuing me in my marriage, in my finances, in these addictions, in these problems. I've cried out to you, and it seems like maybe some of you say, things are worse now, now that I'm following you, than before I even knew you. God, what is going on? And maybe you, like Habakkuk, are looking out over this world, over this nation, and you might say, God, there is so much injustice. Where are you? Why don't you step in? Christians are being slain around the world. Why don't you intervene? The moral fiber of this nation is crumbling, fraying. God, where are you? And we look around at this world, and maybe we, like Habakkuk, say, God, have you abandoned us? And this is the, the very practical truth that I want us to catch that Habakkuk cries out to God, and not only does God not wipe him from the face of the earth, but God chooses to include this prayer, this crying out to God in Scripture. You see, every word of Scripture, Scripture says about itself, is God-breathed is inspired by God. Yes, written by human hands, but inspired by the Holy Spirit through them. So every single story is useful for teaching, for reproof. There's not one wasted drop of ink in all of Scripture. So not only does God say, you've got permission to cry out to me, in a very practical sense, He says, yeah, all of us, we need to see that even in the midst of our abandonment, God invites us to cry out to Him, to yell at Him sometimes. We see it with David. We see it with Job. We see it with Isaiah. All throughout Scripture, there's a permission given to God's people to be honest with God. And sadly, many of us come here and we say, I'm allowed to say that to God? I'm allowed to say, God, where are you? I thought I was supposed to just kind of have it all together and smile and show up and pretend like everything's fine in my life. No, 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 no. All throughout Scripture, there's examples that even in the midst of us feeling abandoned where God invites us to cry out to Him. And maybe some of you say, well, this is, this is kind of calm. This is kind of religious, pious language. Yeah, He's crying out, but not really. We'll take a look at this in verse 12. You see, God responds in verse 5 through 11, and then Habakkuk responds to God's response and says this, Are you not from of old? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you shall not die. And it's so easy to just say, okay, that, what does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew, there's a, such a strong use of language there. That beginning phrase, are you not? And in the English, it sounds kind of, you know, it's soft, are you not? 
But literally, in the Hebrew language, in the context of that time, was such a strong, such a violent use of words that it was only used throughout all of Scripture 96 different times in the midst of a human argument with another person. One commentator says that when Habakkuk says to God, are you not, it's literally like a verbal slap in the face. The translation into the English really is soft, but actually in the original language, it's so intense for Habakkuk violently to turn to God and say, are you not from a vault? Are you not infinite? Are you not holy? So there's this permission here. Very practically, we need to understand this. In the midst of our abandonment, the feelings of loss, the feeling like God is not there, God invites us, and we have to be a community that encourages us not to turn from Him, not to go to self-help, not to go to the internet for answers, but to turn to God in prayer and say, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. Aren't you holy? Aren't you righteous? Why are you allowing these things to happen in this world and in my life? And yet at the same time, Habakkuk finishes that sentence. He says, yes, you are a holy one. So there's this absolute crying out, yet there's this absolute reverence as well. Are you not holy? Yes, you're holy. There's this tension. And you see God allowing Habakkuk to sit with this feeling of abandonment because he doesn't answer it easily. He doesn't give the quick, easy answer. How does he answer? I'm going to go back a little bit in verse 5. Take a look at this, page 762, Habakkuk 1. So Habakkuk cries out, you've abandoned me. Where are you? You're not in my life. You're not anywhere here. There's violence. You're not saving anything. And then God responds in verse 5, look at the nations and see. Be astonished. Be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. And then he goes on in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 and says this. Things are going to get worse. There's going to be more violence. There's going to be more injustice. You're going to feel even more abandoned. Aren't you glad you came here? (laughs) So I want us to catch this in a very practical truth. Here one, a great leader, is crying out to God, God, you've abandoned me. And God says, I want you to see in the midst of this abandonment, you're going to feel even more abandoned and you're not going to believe, you're not going to be, you're going to be just blown away at what I'm going to do in the midst of your abandonment, your people's abandonment. You might say, what? What is that all about? Well, if you know the narrative of Scripture, you begin to see as the centuries go by, things get worse for the nation of Israel. They go deeper and deeper into exile. They get to this place where they have nothing other than crying out to God. They finally realize they need a Savior. They need a Redeemer. They need a King. And so when Jesus comes and He has this language of the kingdom of God, they begin to to hear and they begin to realize, what if this one is the Messiah? What if this one is the one that all of Scripture talked about? And so the disciples thought that Jesus was going to come and He was going to restore the nation of Israel to promise. to to reestablish them as a military and political might, to overthrow the Roman rule. And so these disciples, after spending all these years with Jesus, thought that He was going to do one thing. And they knew exactly what He did. They saw the miracles. They saw the teaching. They saw the dead raised to life in Lazarus. They saw Him go to the cross. They saw Him burst forth from the tomb. They hear stories. And yet they say, we thought He was the one to redeem Israel. 
He's abandoned us. And God says, in the greatest abandonment the world has ever known, you will find my greatest presence. You might say, how, how can you say that? Do you realize that Jesus lived a perfect life? He was without sin. Everything he did was for the Father. He said about his own life, I and the Father are one. In many ways, you could say that the Son of God, who has existed eternally with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they eternally existed together. You might say that if anyone in the history of humanity should not be abandoned, it would be God the Son. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't have it coming to him. And yet when he went to the cross, after living a perfect, sinless, unbroken, holy life, not only did he die for our brokenness, but he took all the wrath of God upon himself, the punishment that was due us. And he actually physically, literally experienced being abandoned from God for real. Because he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And truly, it was the greatest abandonment the world's ever known. And the disciples saw that. They heard him crying to God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? You know they felt abandoned. And Jesus, who they didn't know was Jesus, but just some man walking with them on the road to Emmaus, begins to open up Scripture begins to show them all the things in Scripture throughout the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures about himself. It says that he opened up all of the Scriptures. Could Jesus have gotten to Habakkuk? And could he have said, remember that moment when Habakkuk was crying out to God, God, why have you abandoned us? Why have you abandoned me? Remember when God said, oh, watch. Don't miss it. You'll be astounded. I'm going to do something amazing. Do you realize that he was speaking about me? Because I really was abandoned so that you could only feel abandoned. You see, here's the great irony of the gospel. The one who deserved not to be abandoned was abandoned for you. And he defeated death. He burst forth from the tomb so that all of us who actually deserve to be abandoned through faith and trust in Jesus Christ will never be abandoned. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No one can pluck you from the Father's hand. Nothing in all of creation, the height or death or anything, in all of creation, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So the abandonment that you feel isn't real. Yes, you feel abandoned. But we have one who not only sits with us in our feelings of abandonment, but even beyond that, he took the truth and the fullness of being abandoned for us so that we could be reconciled to God. So in a very practical way, when we feel abandoned, we have an opportunity to cry out to God, to know that he receives us in that way, to be absolutely reverent in that and worshiping in that. But the profound truth is this is that we have one who doesn't only sit with us and are abandoned, he was abandoned for us. Last night I was down with some friends and my wife and we were having dinner on Santa Monica, the promenade, 
and there was a Christian sitting down on a chair. Maybe if you were there last night, maybe you saw it. Maybe you're here tonight or this morning. Uh, maybe you were that one. Uh, but this gentleman who was very clearly a Christian was sitting down, had a microphone, and all the way across the other street was another microphone. And he was sitting all the way back here on his chair, had all these big signs, ask me any question you want, Jesus is real, the Bible, da 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 He was sitting down, he was sitting with the questions, right? Were you there? I see the hand, you, you saw that last night? Okay. And the other side was somebody asking questions. And my first thought was like, wow, he's, he's courageous, right? He's sitting with these tough questions. Wow, in public. I mean, there's like microphones and, and, and loudspeakers, and there's like people learning how to dance salsa over here. There's like break dancing over here, and there's this Christian guy sitting with these very tough questions. And I'm kind of like, we're walking by him, and I'm like, that's a tough question. Glad it's him, not me, right? <laughs> and the image that I want us to have is that we have a God who doesn't sit with us in our tough questions while we are on the other end of the street asking them. Rather, we have a God who stepped down out of the comfort and glory and realities of heaven to be with us. And He is not on the other end of a street. He is right beside us. And you might not feel it. You might not acknowledge it. You might be looking for circumstances to change. You might be looking for everything other than the massive gorilla that is Jesus Christ saying, I have come to restore you, to give you hope, to give you a future, to give you peace. And I want to sit with you. More than that, I want to bear that abandonment on your behalf. So if you see that, if you turn to Scripture like those disciples did on the road to Emmaus, you see Jesus on the road didn't say, hey, I'm here. He opened up Scripture and says, I'm here. And at the end of it, says that he opened their eyes and they said, well, weren't our hearts burning within us? The more you see Christ who was abandoned for you, who sits with you in the midst of those feelings, the more you're going to change your perspective of him and of you and the more you're going to be willing to sit with other people with their tough questions. So when they call you up and they say, gosh, I feel like God's putting me through the ringer, you might not say, well, God helps those who help themselves. I got to go. But you'll say, it's not even the Bible, by the way. <laughs> but it's a quick, easy answer to, you know, get it going. But you'll say, you know what? I can relate. Even more than that, you know, we have a God who can relate. Wow, Jesus went through the ringer for us. And that's not a quick, easy answer. That's a journey of sitting with the tough questions with each other. So will we be a church? My prayer and my hope is that we will. I think we can be a church that is known that we'd be able to sit with one another in the midst of the tough questions, that we would be in community with one another, though we might disagree over the quick and easy answers, but that we would collectively turn to a God who sits with us in the midst of our tough questions. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, as we consider the words of Habakkuk and of Cleopas on that road to Emmaus, God, I pray that your spirit would continue to, to bring to the surface some of the tough questions that we have.
whether it's about ourselves, about this world, about you, about our purpose, about how there's a disconnect between what we hear you want Christians to be and how we see them to be, whatever those tough questions are, God, I pray that you would raise those to the surface and that you would help us understand that you sit with us. You enter into the tough questions, the difficult scenarios of our life, And you don't give us the quick, easy answer, but God, I thank you, and I pray that we would see that more and more, that you give us your presence. You give us your spirit and your power. God, you give us each other. You give us your word. You've given us so many things, and I pray that we would see how in the greatest abandonment the world has ever known, that in and out of it we get the greatest sense of belonging, the greatest sense of your presence, the greatest sense of your power. So God, I pray that you would help us see the things in our life, the broken relationships, the scare with cancer, the loss of a job, the hopes and dreams that were never realized, the things that we wonder why you haven't fixed, haven't changed. God, I pray that we would be plunged deep into the reality that even in the midst of those, not despite those things, but through those things, God, your beauty and your power come forth. God, if you could do that for Jesus on the cross, how much more would you do that through us, through faith and trust in him? Jesus, help us sit in this moment to reflect on these things and the fact that you sit with us. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.